Well, this Advent season, we're talking about coming home to mercy in Jesus. So now I think about how we make our home ready for Christmas. Fun thing about having one of our sons born on November 25th is that it has become a tradition to set up the Christmas tree, and depending on how that goes, to set up the rest of our Christmas decorations on Emmett's birthday. So we've had that part of the home prepared for a few days now. But you think about all the different ways we make a home, not only during season, but out of season. The ordinary lives that we proceed for, but also the ways in which our home becomes a hub, coming and going from work, coming and going from, uh, from social engagements, coming and going from school. It's so nice to come home. I can remember coming home for the first time after I moved out and went away to college. And how nice it was to come home to those wreath cookies with the red hots on them. And all the other things that just made Christmas home. But of course, this season is not yet Christmas. It's Advent. And it's like, it's like you're building this big production and saying, lights, camera, Advent. doesn't really fit. Lights, camera, and mom, and sometimes the rest, get into action to get ready for the season. Lights, camera, advent. Lights, camera, pause, prepare, wait, pray, fast, repent, reflect, remember, rest. Lights, camera, action. That's what the world's been telling me. Lights, camera, advent. So over the next few Sundays as we think about coming home to mercy, we're going to be mixing seasons a bit. Advent and Christmas. We're going to sing Advent hymns and light Advent wreaths. We're going to sing our way to the manger with snippets of Christmas carols. We're recognizing that every other day of the week we're thoroughly mixed up in conflicting seasons. Lights, camera, Christmas, and lights, camera, Advent. And we're doing this, I pray, in the spirit of our worship approach in general, to balance our heritage and our hospitality. We have beautiful heritage as Christians and as Lutheran Christians and as Bethesda Lutheran Christians and as people who have been here long or short periods of time. We have a heritage. In fact, if you uh, take the sermon handout home and look at the back page, which didn't print for me, but for you, I hope you have a back page. I pulled a few quotes from a beautiful book by Tish Harrison Warren on Advent practices. And she points out that it was Lutherans who invented Advent calendars and most likely invented Advent wreaths. And both of those things were done in the last 130 to 200 years. So we're mixing these seasons up to balance our heritage as Lutheran Christians and our hospitality to the season, which is we're listening to Christmas music, we're shopping for Christmas, we're telling our kids the great story of Christmas. And so we're putting these things together on Sundays as we come home to mercy. Today our scriptures really think about words that stick and words that stand. Words that stick like our prophet Isaiah, as Dick read for us, 
Thank you for substituting for a wise guy who was otherwise going to be a reader today. Isaiah has some prayers that stick in the, stick in the heart. Perhaps you've prayed something like this, Isaiah 64.1. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, that the mountains would quake at your presence. Have you had a similar prayer? Lord, let's go. Open the heavens. Tear away the curtain. Come and do what you have promised. And in Isaiah's day, they were centuries from the birth of that newborn Christ child. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. And the birth of Jesus is God's definitive answer to that prophet's prayer. But the prophet also has words that stick in our conscience and make us uneasy, that lead us suddenly from singing of a star and these wise men to singing of or hearing words that shake us and make us uncomfortable or uncertain. Isaiah points out that no one calls on the name of the Lord or attempts to take hold of God. That God has hidden his face from us and we have been delivered into the hand of our own iniquity. What does this look like? It looks like words that stick. Heated words and cold silences between words. Exchanges around dinner tables, within cars, over business meetings, and through keyboards. Words that stick with us. Most of us have words from childhood, good, bad, and ugly, that have stuck with us. We get to our gospel, and Jesus is Sharing, while looking upon the temple, his disciples ask him about the time that is ahead. And this, this striking language from Jesus in our gospel today about the sun and the moon not giving its light. This language comes right before the events of his last supper, arrest, and crucifixion and death and burial. It comes at the early days of that last week before the cross that he's employing all of that apocalyptic language from the Old Testament to stir up that uneasiness among his followers then and now. And he talks about those things that were created by God's word in the beginning. God said, let there be light, and there's light. God said, let there be lights in the sky, and there was a sun and stars. And now those very things created by God's word are falling apart. That as human civilization seems to be coming apart at the seams, so God's own word-created creation is coming apart, is shaking at its edges and core. And with these words that are destined to fall, Jesus warns us as well of words that ring hollow, that when times get tough, when the news takes a turn for the dark, or if it feel like, feels like you can't remember the last time the news took a turn to the light, words ring hollow when somebody says, look at the fig tree, or look at the headlines over here, or look what's going on in the Holy Land, or look at my life, or look at who's in charge and what they've done. 
Look over here, and you will know that the end is near. I used to have a book on my shelf before I got rid of a lot of books this year. The book was called Why Jesus Will Come Back in 1988. I love that book. I inherited it from a former pastor at Bethesda long after 1988. You can find books on all of the above predictions of what are the signs that will tell you the end is upon us, that the second advent, the return of Christ in glory, is upon us. Why Jesus will come back in 1988? It's because Israel, the fig tree, was reestablished as a nation state in 1948. So, skip a generation, and there, by 1988, Jesus will return. Well, no, he's going to come back in the year 2000, because Adam and Eve rounded off to 4000 BC, then you've got six centuries of thousand, or 6,000 years, so that's like six days of creation, then you get the Sabbath day, so that's like the year 2000, ergo, Jesus is coming back in the year 2000. No, no, it wasn't either one of those. I mean, Jesus will come back in 2007, because that's when Israel finally took over eastern Jerusalem in 1967. So that was the beginning of the generation. No, 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 it was 2012. The Mayan calendar had it right. It was 2012, that's when the world is going to end. And I'm sure you can find somebody now who's going to say, 2024. Because in our world, we wonder if we can survive one more election season as a single country. <laughs> and a host of other world conflicts. These are words that ring hollow after a while. And the danger is then to just pitch it all as apocalyptic gobbledygook that people make a quick buck on and sell books through, and we don't have to worry about that. Well, then why, in fact, does Jesus say, stay awake? James Edwards, who comments on the, book, uh, on the Gospel of Mark, he has these wonderful words, so I just printed them in full here. He says... It's equally important to note what this glorious vision of the future, he's referring to Jesus saying, in those days then the Son of Man will return with his angels and gather his chosen people together to himself. So Edwards points out, notice what's not in Jesus' glorious vision of the future in Mark 13. There's no mention of a millennium. There's no mention of a new Jerusalem. No rebuilt temple, no restoration of Israel or the state of Israel, no battle of Armageddon, and no hints at how and when Christ will return. About all these things, the text is silent. All these incidentals yield to the preeminent truth of the power and the glory of Jesus' future coming and the promise that his elect, his people, his sheep, will be gathered to him. This preview of the future ought not lure us to calculate and to sell our calculations of when Christ will return, nor to fear what will happen, but to know that he will come to claim his own. His coming is his promise, and the gathering of believers to him is our hope. That's a primary message of the Advent season. We anticipate the celebration of the birth of Jesus, but he was born quite a long time ago. 
we celebrate and anticipate as well the second coming, the advent of the King in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. This is why when the world looks upon us or considers Christians in general or by our worst representatives, they think about words that stick, that have been spoken to them in a church or by a Christian, words that have stuck in harm. They think about words that ring hollow when Christians are constantly trying to predict the future and lo and behold, they didn't read their Bible decoder ring correctly. And when the world looks at the church and says it's full of hypocrites, no, it's not. The church is not full of hypocrites. We always have room for more. (laughs) And so into all these words that ring hollow or fall to the ground or stick like glue to our hearts, All of these words Jesus promises in verse 31 of the gospel. Heaven and earth will pass away. All the things God's word created in the beginning and all the words we've spoken and received, all of it will pass away. But my word, says Jesus, will stand forever, will not pass away. My word, we could say, Jesus' word is more real than reality, more eternal than heaven's eternity. Isn't that something? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Which means the new creation, the life of the world to come, heaven in all its glory, exists even at that time in the word of Christ. So let's come home to mercy and to the one who has that merciful word. Even Isaiah the prophet, when he longs for God to rip open the heavens and come down, even when he confesses his and the people's sins, even Isaiah reminds the Lord by also reminding himself, you, O Lord, yet are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. So do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Consider, we are all your people. So when Jesus tells us to stay awake, it's not to stay online all night long looking for the rapture index and how hot it's getting in the headlines to determine the end. It's to come home to his mercy And when you come home to his mercy, watch the door. Watch the door so that you can extend mercy at midnight to anybody traveling in the dark. Anyone who doesn't know that the hopes and fears of all the years are met in Christ tonight and every night. This is why Karl Barth once said that What other time or season can or will the church ever have but the season of Advent? We are the house of mercy living between the first and the second Advents of our King. We come home to his mercy together and we watch the door 
And we go out and extend that midnight mercy to anyone in need of that peace. Amen. This season, instead of 